So glad to have each and every one of you here today. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask God to, to speak to our hearts this morning. Dear Jesus, we, we come before you today, and uh, we pray that you would stir us up, God. Give us uh, what we need today from your word. God, reveal where we failed you, Lord, and I pray uh, anyone here that needs encouragement and needs um, just compassion and uh, just to see your presence today, God, that you would speak to their hearts, Lord, and uh, change us and make us new. We pray for our city, Lord, and pray for our county, uh, Lord, that you would help us to be part of a solution and uh, that we would see it change for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Last week we asked the question, how can we fix Clarksburg? We can't. We can't. See, we can change things around a little bit. Things can get better for a little while. But ultimately, it is a people problem. Our priorities and desires and focuses naturally tend towards ourselves. We're selfish people. And this causes problems for ourselves and those around us. And there's only one real long-term fix, and his name is Jesus. Last week we gave number one of four truths that pushed the gospel from our heads into our hearts. And these truths are taken from a book called The Gospel, Recovering the Power that Made Christianity Revolutionary. And here's the first one. You read it with me. You ready? In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make God love me anymore and nothing I have done that would make God love me any less. Imagine if the broken people across our city began to believe that. That they began to believe that they were made in the image of God and that their maker loves them so much. That they're not an accident, they're not a mistake, that God loves them. And yes, they can't earn their way to heaven, but Jesus Christ already paid the price. See, the gospel is the fix. And the broken and hopeless people need to hear it. And once our eyes begin to open to the beauty of the gospel and you're standing before God, then we can move on to truth number two. And it's this. God's presence, God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. So the Bible tells us that looking deeper into the love and the glory of Jesus is what shapes us and reorders our priorities to be in line with who God wants us to be. 2 Corinthians 3.18 spells this out. It's an awesome verse. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's that saying is when we look more into who God is and we begin to fall in love with that, then it begins to transform us from one degree to another into the glory of the Lord. When you begin to pour your heart 
into knowing who God is, you will become more like him. See, the only response when we look into the perfect love of Christ is to want to give our all to him. The clearer picture we have of who Christ is, the more it transforms us. Ephesians 1.17 begins to tell us that, and Paul tells the Ephesians that transformation of our heart comes from examining the gospel, that the eyes of our heart can be opened. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you and what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the work of His his might. See, God wants you to know the hope and the power and the riches that are found in him because when you know it, it changes you. And that's why doctrine is so important for us to learn and to know because God has given us a means to know him better through his word. And we need to bring our beliefs in line with scripture. There are so many misconceptions. How many of y'all have realized that? That who people think God is is not actually who the Bible says God is. How many of y'all have noticed that in society today? There's so many misconceptions about who God is. Here's the first misconception that we'll talk about here. Every struggle in my life is punishment for some sin that I have committed. People believe that about God, but that doesn't align with Scripture. The disciples once asked, who had sinned to cause this man to be blind in John chapter 9? And Jesus told them, no one has sinned. He is blind that I might show my glory through him. And Jesus healed that man. So every struggle and every heartache in your life is not necessarily because you have wronged God and God's just, you know, trying to punish you for that. Next misconception is that God doesn't want me to have fun. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. No, the fact is, is that sin brings pain. And God's word isn't trying to keep you from good things. No, he's trying to keep you from pain. There's another misconception is that God is mad at me. But see, we talked about this last week. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, then God's word tells us there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. God is not mad at you. He loves you. And these are just a few of the many misconceptions people have about God that they can easily fall into. And see, the hard thing is, is God is perfectly balanced. God is perfectly balanced balance. And that's hard for us to understand because we all tend normally to one side or the other. It's hard as a church to stay in the middle. It's hard in politics to try and be unbiased. Why? Because everybody hates the guy in the middle, right? The guy on the left, the guy on the right, they both say he's to this, he's to that. But God is perfectly balanced in every way. God is both just and merciful. Well, how can you do that? How can you be 
ultimately just and ultimately merciful. God is both infinitely big and close and personal. God is all-powerful but gentle. God is loving, but his holiness demands wrath at times. See, it's so easy for us to tip towards one side or the other when we think about God. And that is why pouring our hearts into God's word is so important because we will naturally tend towards what we want to think about God and we have to constantly realign our beliefs with who the Bible says God is. We both need all of God and intimacy in our worship. The more we understand who God is, the more that we become aware of how sinful we are. And the more that we see the beauty of God, the more we become aware of the ugliness of sin. And the more that we see the praise that God deserves, the more we understand that what we ultimately deserve is hell. And yet God loves us anyway. See, we must have a balanced view of God informed by his word. But see, your salvation is to be characterized by joy. Ask yourself this morning if that's part of your walk. Is that how you feel about your Christian walk? That joy is a part of it. The Bible tells us the joy of our Lord is our strength. And if there's no joy in your walk, something is broken and something is messed up. And it's not going to work. Well, how do we know what I place my joy in? Because that's important. We know what you place your joy in and what controls your joy by taking it away. So what if following Christ cost you everything? What if it cost you your family? What if it cost you your job? What if it cost you every friend you ever had? Now, is this going to happen to you most likely? Maybe not. But what it does do is it sifts out our priorities. See, what you worship, you're going to see that if it's taken away from you. And you see that many times. Well, I'll, I'll follow God as long as he gives me a job. I'll follow God as long as he does this for me, as long as he does that for me. As long as my marriage is perfect and everything's okay, I will put my faith in God. We saw that in the life of Job. Well, the devil tried to convince God that Job is only following you, God, because you have given him all these blessings. God said, no, that's not true. And the devil said, well, let me take away some of those things. Let me take away his health. Let me have his friends turn back on him. But yet God uh, was able to prove that Job still served God amidst all of that pain and sorrow. So is that true of you? Is your joy, is your happiness, is your worth dependent on your relationship with Christ or is it dependent on something else? See, we need to find our identity in who made us. We need to constantly preach this message to our heart, our unbelieving heart, that God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. We need to find our identity in who made us. We need to find our acceptance in our heavenly Father. 
And our looks and our stature and our talents are not what give us value. We are a signed masterpiece of the creator of the universe. Do you really believe that? Is that really where your joy is found? Psalms 139, David talks about knowing this God and this God knowing him. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That's scary, right? You hem me in, behind me and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to, to me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or death, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. How many have ever felt that way before where you couldn't see a way out? Your depression was too uh, thick your sorrows, your circumstances, and you didn't know a way out. David says here, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be about me by night, but even the darkness is not dark to you. And even the night is as bright as the day. Darkness is as light with you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You, are, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for you are, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. They were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, See, God saw all this. What's, what you're going through right now, God saw before the beginning of time. You are not alone. God knows the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Look at this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. God thinks about you. God thinks about you a lot. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. He goes on and says, look, all your enemy, all my enemies and all those that are against me, all those that are against you, God, you know all of that. God, you're thinking about me. You've stitched me together. You know me. You can oftentimes feel that way in a crowd where you're like, man, I, I don't know that I'm known here. And it can make you feel uncomfortable. You lean up against the wall. You awkwardly try and talk to somebody. But see, God knows you 
out of the 7 billion people in the entire world. God sees you. He knows you. He knows every word you're going to say before it even touches your tongue. He knows your thoughts. And he loves you anyway. He knows you. So stop seeking approval from your peers. Stop seeking approval from your less than perfect parents. Approval from culture and society and friends and followers and subscribers. Instead, rest in the approval of the one that formed you, the one that never leaves you, the one that knitted you together and loves you and wants a close and genuine relationship with you. See, everyone else's approval is fading. Musicians and uh, celebrities, we see that all the time, where they get chewed up and spit out, seeking the approval of people. And they get turned on. And yet, more people today, the statistics tell us, more people today want to be famous than ever before. Everyone and their grandma thinks that they're a social media influencer, right? Follow me on YouTube, hashtag this, at me at this. But is that what we should seek, the approval of men? No, because it is fleeting. And today people are uh, perhaps more disconnected and lonely and hopeless and depressed than ever. Seeking this approval from social media, which by the way is neither social nor media. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So don't look for your approval. Don't live your life and shape your life based on the changing opinions of men. Parents, you cannot find your identity in your children. They will leave the nest and then who are you? Wives, you can't find your identities in your husband because they will fail you. Amen? There's a lot of ladies that just said amen right there. You can't find your identity in them. You cannot find your identity in your job because one day you're going to leave that job, you're going to retire, and then who are you? We must preach this truth to our heart. That God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. He knows you inside and out. He formed you. He stitched you together. He thinks of you often. He knows your flaws and your failures. And still, he loves you. He wants to lead you and walk with you. He wants you to remember that you are wonderfully made by him. And when your heart begins to respond to this gospel truth, you can say things like this, found in Psalms 118.6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Whom shall I fear? Once we begin to see this clearer picture of who God is and how he sees us, it begins to make the temptations of this world so much less enticing. Greer says this. He says, the reason so many of us feel like we can't say no to temptation 
is that God does not have that kind of weight in our hearts. God's authority must be greater than our desires. And his beauty should be more attractive than the lust of the flesh. In other words, the reason we can't say no to temptation is not our desire for those things is too large. It's because our desire for God is too small. In order to really say no to the desires of temptation, we need to develop a stronger desire for God. Lesser urges can only be expelled by stronger ones. That's why uh, the Puritan Thomas Chalmers called this the expulsive power of a new affection. You cannot change your ways by just focusing on not doing things. That's like trying to get rid of a song in your head by saying, don't think about this, don't think about this, don't think about this. It doesn't work. The way to get rid of that song is to sing a new song. And that's what many of us need to do with our lives. Our priorities, our, our uh, habits, these things that hurt us, is not to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's to say, God, let me love you. Let me love you more. Let me see what you want to do in my life. God, I'm going to find out more about you. And the more that you find out about God and the more that you fellowship with God, the less and less those things will be enticing. Until then, all the changes we will make will be superficial and we'll obey only when we think there is a threat of punishment or of a promise of reward. And this kind of obedience is wearisome both to God and to us. Because we're trying to force our hearts to pursue something it does not want to pursue. And this is why the, uh, there are so many people that are in the chains of religion and they're characterized many times by anger. Because they're constantly struggling between the flesh and guilt. And they've always got themselves clenched because they're trying to be better. But God promised us freedom, not bondage. God promised to take our weights off of us, that we could lay our burdens at his feet, not put more things on top of us. When we dive deep into the gospel, it sets us free from both sin and religion. It changes our hearts so that we want to know God and we want to serve God and it gives us new desires. See, the gospel not only tells us about the power of God, it is the power of God. Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You need to constantly preach this message to your heart, pushing it from your head to your heart. Every hurt, every uh, feeling of bitterness, every sin habit, every addiction. I can't overcome this thing on my own, but Jesus died that I might be free. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus to overcome this thing in my life. And the more that we do this, the more that we'll understand that old song that says, though none go with me, still I will follow. That doesn't make sense for people in religion. They want everyone to do what they're doing, or if they do go on their own, they put themselves up on a pedestal and look down at everybody else. But this person says, God's presence and approval is all I need for everlasting joy. And though none go with me, still I will follow. Why? Because God's opinion of me is the only opinion that matters. 
No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, all those things that I had uh, cared about, all those things that I had put my worth in, that's all behind me and the cross is before me. And I'm not turning back because I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. And that is exactly what the disciples did. Was it easy? No. They left their livelihoods. They, many times they left their families. They left their positions in, uh, like Paul in the church. And they set out to leave that all behind and say, I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. And everything in my life that doesn't matter, I'm going to leave it behind. Why? Because this matters more. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. And they said no turning back. Many of them all the way to their crucifixion, their stoning, their beheading, their being torn asunder by lions. How do you have that kind of faith? Well, it has to be real, and it has to be the gospel, because it's supernatural faith. It doesn't make sense to us. But until we begin to put all our faith and hope in the fact that Jesus died in my place, I deserved hell, Jesus died in my place, and he rose again in power. And I can put my faith in him, not just for salvation and not just get to heaven, to get to heaven, but to help me with this problem that I am going through right now. I'm angry at my wife. God, please forgive me for that sin. God, I put my faith in you to help me change right now. And I know in and of myself, I can't be better. I can't do better. And I need you. God, I'm struggling with the chains of alcoholism. God, I need you. I know that I can't just stop. But God, I'm going to put my faith in you. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's waking up every morning and saying, I'm just a sinner. And today, God, if I'm left to myself, I'm going to ruin this all. But God, I put my faith in you right now. And I'm going to keep aligning my heart on the gospel and balance it right there. And when we start tipping this way into legalism, we have to remember, oh, I got to get back on the gospel. That it's not about what I do. And we start tipping this way into liberalism and we just want to say, well, God wants me to be happy so I can do whatever I want to do. We got to remember, we got to stand right on the gospel because it's so hard. So how do we fix Clarksburg? That's what we've been talking about, right? See, the broken and the frustrated and hopeless people need to hear this message that they are made in the image of God and they are a glorious masterpiece. And that because of God, there's nothing that they can do to make him love them anymore. And there's nothing they have done that would make him love them any less. And God's presence and approval are all they need for everlasting joy. They're not worthless. They're not an accident. They have value in the eyes of the creator. And they may have excruciating pain in this life, but this life is only part of the picture. If they would come to know Jesus, then they would have the hope of being free from all abuse and addiction and pain and tears. If not in this life, then for sure in the next 
And every proud and arrogant and self-centered person in this county needs to hear the gospel as well. Those of us that think we have it all together. No, we need to know that life is bigger than my comfort. And all life simply has value because of who made us. And I'm just as unworthy of God's love as anyone else, and yet still God loves me. And I cannot find my joy in money, sex, power, or fame. God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. With every head bowed and eyes closed, the band's going to come. Let's just take a, a few moments of prayer and speak these to our heart and pray these out to our God. God, reel on my heart so that I truly believe that your approval and your presence is all I need in this life. Take a moment and cry that out to your God. God, I know how you feel about me. Father, I know you made me. And despite all of my failures and despite the fact that I don't deserve any of it, you still forgive me. You have mercy. You have grace. And because of all those things, I'm going to seek your approval in my life, far above anyone else's. As the band plays, you, you take a moment and, and pray.